You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. guys guess what i just heard my intro music that means that it's time for the pimp cron warhammer podcast and i have several things for you to listen to tonight i am joined by lore master alex and a want that or want that not discussing titanicus from games workshop and boy do we have some opinions on that i am also joined by just james on the fan mail the tesseract mailbox question from ash who is a listener about imperial knights tonight we will cover the best noob armies part two as our main topic the real talk with the pimpcron and my well here's an idea is discussing hobbying on vacation because a lot of you neglect that and we need to stop and as always at the very end we are going to be covering a Let's get brutal with the Pimpcron with more lore from my free rules, use your own models, skirmish war game with RPG light elements. It's called Brutality Skirmish War Game, and tonight we are discussing the Epic of Cronel, which is one of my favorite things. And he, uh, well, you know what? I'm not going to tell you about it. I'll let you listen. So buckle up, kiddos. It is time for the Pimpcron Warhammer Podcast. Let's open the Tesseract Mailbox. Welcome to another edition of the Tesseract Mailbox. And today we have a letter from a guy named Ash. He writes, Hey Pimpcron, my name is Ash. I don't get to play a ton, but love the hobby and reading the lore that accompanies these awesome games. Currently I'm expanding my Night Haunt army in AOS since the new codex came out, and I've decided to build something for 40k as well. I've settled on an all-imperial knight army, as the models are incredible and I love the feudal space lore. That's a sentence you don't often hear, feudal space lore. So here's my question. I don't know which direction to go for my Imperial Knight Lance. Should I go for a more shooting-focused build or get gnarly with a melee-focused group of knights? Thoughts? I recently got the Renegade box, which comes with two knight kits, basically, and need to decide which variants to build. Then what Dominus-class knight to lead the way? Also, need some Armager support, too, or Armager, I don't know how you pronounce that. Half the stuff in Warhammer, I don't know how to pronounce, so. Um, I've been listening to the podcast and reading some of your articles. Great content. Looking forward to your feedback on my new endeavor, Ash. Well, first of all, thank you very much for writing in, Ash. I appreciate it. Um, I will help you in the best way I can. I don't actually play Imperial Knights. I have, uh, I split a box with Just James, the Renegade set, like you were talking about. I split a box with him uh, when that came out years ago, and I've never even assembled my knight. That's how much I love knights. So, as far as I know, um, you know, they, they have certain variants that are more melee-centric. They have certain variants that are more shooty-centric. And you just have to decide which type of army that you want to play. You know, I mean, it, this is sounding kind of generic, but I don't really play uh, knights. Um well, actually, come to think of it, Just James actually plays Imperial Knights. So, um, I probably should have got him on this, but it's fine. I'll try to, I'll just try to I'm muddle. here. Oh, shit! Oh. I'm oh. right, I've, I've been standing here this whole time. Damn it, Just James! <laughs> How long have you been here? You were looking right at me. Oh, you know, you know I don't pay attention. Okay, well, Just James is here. Thanks come, a lot. 
Woo! That was, uh, okay, so, Just James, you, I don't know if you were listening, you were here. Uh, yeah, okay. I was listening. Okay. Uh, so you play Imperial Knights, is that right? Uh, I don't play them, uh, just by themselves, I do ally them with our other armies, but yeah, I have played a knight or two, you know, occasionally here and there. All right. Um, so what do you say about whether he should, um, like, what are your opinions on the different types of knights? Uh, so my, like you said, we, we, uh, split that, that renegade knight box set and I was looking at the knights, and I realized I I like the Crusader the best. I like the the loadout that you can get with the thermal cannon and the Avenger Gatling cannon. Now uh, the the Knight Crusader is more what centric, melee range. What is that? Like what's its role? Well, it's definitely range. I mean, you get both hands are are guns. Oh. And it just kicks stuff around with its feet. Okay, um, but there is a melee version. Yeah, the uh, Knight Gallant. Uh, that has the the chain sword and the thunderstrike gauntlet, and that's okay. So that's what he was talking about when he was saying get it, get up in their grill with a knight. But there's there's several other different types of knights, right? Yeah. So what do they? What is their role? So if the gallant is melee, and the crusader is ranged, what are the other? The other ones, uh, well, they they start out standard with the reaper chain sword, but you can switch them out with the thunderstrike gauntlet. Uh, but they're the other, depending on which knight it is, uh, they come with either the rapid fire battle cannon, the Avenger Gatling cannon, or the thermal cannon. And, uh, really that's the difference between, uh, the three of them. So they could have just left it as one profile and you can just, you know, the war gear option on the thing on the sheet. Uh, will be the same, but they decided to take up some pages with it. So those those three knights are basically the same exact knight, just different guns? Correct. Okay, so they just, yeah, like you said, just taking up book space. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing if the Gallant is melee-centric and the Crusader is ranged, those other three, the Warden and the other ones, they're kind of like all around, I guess? Pretty much. I mean, the, the Avenger Gatlin Cannon is... Uh, Heavy 12, strength 6, minus 2, 2 damage. So that's good at taking out uh, light vehicles and infantry. And heavy infantry, yeah. The thermal cannon is it's uh, heavy D6, strength 9, minus 4, D6 damage. And within half range, uh, you roll 2 dice and discard the lowest. So it's 36 inches. So at 18 inches, that's when you'll be doing that. Standard. Uh, Melta gun special rule. So that's more for taking out, you know, vehicles or monsters, creatures, or monsters and other uh, super heavies. And then you have the rapid fire battle cannon, which is uh, 72 inches, uh, heavy 2d6, strength 8, minus 2d3 damage. And that's, that's also good for taking out vehicles and stronger infantry units, uh, more meteor infantry units, and also monstrous creatures. Okay, so to me, it sounds like, I mean, while they're all good, I feel like the rapid-fire battle cannon would be more up my alley, because it has double the range of the, uh, what's thermal the melted one? Thermal cannon. The thermal cannon. It's got double the range of the thermal cannon, and does 
more shots but less damage, kind of an averaged kind of... If you don't trust your dice rolls, you probably want more shots. Yeah. So, but the thermal can can put out some real punishment. Well, I like the fact that on strike nine, you're wounding land raiders on threes. And the battle can is eight. Uh, battle can strength eight, so you're wounding on fours on yeah. a land raider. So you've got a melee-centric one, a ranged one, and then kind of an all, all-purpose one in the middle that does a little bit of both. Is there any reason to take a melee knight, the, the knight gallant? I say no, uh, because for each, every single knight has titanic feet. And those are the user strengths of strength 8. It's minus 2. It's D3 damage. Its special rule is you make 3 hit rolls for each attack uh, made with the weapon instead of 1. So they all come 4 base. So that's 12 attacks. Mm. So you're hitting on 3s. You're wounding. You have a really good chance of wounding. Being strength 8. Yeah, anything under uh, strength 8. And it's minus 2. You know, that's pretty good. It's D3 damage. That's pretty good, unless you roll all ones. So there's no minus to hit with that one? There's no minus to hit, unlike the uh, Thunderstrike Gauntlet. And what's so great about that one? Uh, well, that, that'll that double your strength, making you strength 16. So you'll be <sighs> wounding Toughness 8 stuff on twos. Wow. Uh, it is minus 4 AP, and it does a straight 6 damage. Wow. The thing is, is that it's minus 1 to... Like we said, minus one to your hit roll, so you'll be hitting on fours. Uh, at this is at this is at full strength. Uh, you know, uh, between thirteen to twenty-four wounds, be hitting normally hitting on threes, but since with the Thunderstrike Gauntlet, you'll be at minus one hitting on fours. Uh, and how many attacks do you get with that? Just your. You just get four, uh, and it doesn't degrade no matter what wounds you're at. But your weapon skill does. It goes from three, four, to five. So, so you'll be hitting on sixes when you're almost dead? Yes. Ugh. Uh, and seven to twelve, you'll be hitting on fives. Yeah, um, that's not good. Yeah. But, I mean, if you get at least one wound through, you'll be doing a straight six damage. Six damage, yeah. And also, its special rule is uh, if you, if you uh, slay a vehicle or a monster with the Thunderstrike Gauntlet, you can essentially pick up the slain model and throw it well not physically pick it up but uh in in <laughs> game in the universe you gra- you? the uh <laughs> the knight uh picks it up and throws it so you pick an enemy unit within nine inches of the bearer and roll a d6 on a four up that unit takes uh d3 mortal wounds that's that's pretty cool as far as imagery like that's a pretty neat fluffy thing for it to do that's pretty cool. Like you kill a Carnifex or whatever, and you just yeah. toss it into somebody else. That's yeah. It's pretty neat, but kill a land raider, pick it up, and throw it into something else. So, so this gauntlet, it it definitely is the most potent option because of the you know the the AP being minus four and the straight six damage and the strength sixteen and all that. But doesn't that seem like that's more geared towards like? Super other super heavies, other super heavies, bigger you know super heavy monsters, super heavy vehicles. Then the you had the Reaper Chain Sword, so that is plus four strength, making you strength twelve. Mm-hmm. It's minus three, which is pretty good. Yeah, and that does straight six damage, and there's no penalty to hit. So mm. you're starting off at threes to hit. Then as once you get weaker, you're at fours. Then once you get even further than that, you're at fives. Uh, so, but you only have four attacks. Yeah. It is, 
it's still like I said, if you happen to get one to go through, that's still one uh, damage of six. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's still pretty decent. So that's kind of the middle ground. As far as the melee weapons. Between the titanic feet, which is a lot of attacks, but lesser strength, even though it's strength 8. Yeah. And then the chainsword's the next highest. It's a little more specialized with straight 6 damage. And then the the gauntlet is like the the super heavy killer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But they all get the titanic feet. Mm -hmm. They all get it. And that's not a bad option with 12 attacks. Uh, So at first glance, I don't think I'd ever take the gauntlet. Because more than likely, in most cases, unless you're going up against the Super Heavy, you're going to have your Titanic feet anyway, against most units. Yeah. At Strength 8, D3 damage, all that. So, the Chainsword's probably a good option, and that will take care of Super Heavies if you run into it, but you're not getting the minus one to hit and all that. Correct. It's still straight, straight, straight 6 damage. Yeah. So, I feel like probably the Chainsword would be a better option than the Gauntlet. It's more kind of in the middle. I agree, yeah. And like I said, most of the time you're probably not even going to use it unless you're going up against another super heavy or something because you got the titanic feet. Right. So am I wrong in saying that the gallant doesn't really seem like it's worth taking, being that all knights get the titanic feet and you'll probably end up using that mostly anyway? Uh, the I would say the gallant is good if you know what you're going up against. Uh, if you know someone else has taken an imperial knight army Yeah. or other... St- super heavy units, the the gallant is good because then you would have your option of either the Thunderstrike Gauntlet to uh, wound on uh, twos, or then you have the Reaper Chainsword if there's something lesser in toughness, then you have that to use. Okay, so at the risk of boring people that don't play knights with all this knowledge... Well, um, they've probably already turned, turned it off. <laughs> they've probably already skipped ahead. They're like, knights... I'm out. Yeah, that's probably what I would have done, honestly. I'm no fan of knights, although I, I don't think they're as scary this edition as they're they were They're pretty cool others. looking. Oh, oh, certainly, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's nice to have at least one just to look at and, and paint, even though I haven't painted mine. Uh, and mine's still on the sprue. Podcast. <laughs> so, all in all, what would you suggest? And then I'll give you my novice impression of it. He wanted to know about um, ranged or melee. Yes, and also he is planning on doing a straight-up knight army. Mm-hmm. So, I guess I would say take one. If you're doing, if you're not taking the small guys, I would say take one knight gallant just to have that melee. To take out one big... Yeah. And then... It's weird he doesn't get more attacks than a basic knight. Yeah. That's odd to me. Uh, yeah, for, it's like they should have like a special rule there. That says, you know, since he has two weapons, he gets the extra attack. Yeah. But no. Take take the Crusader. Uh, you get, that's a, you know, a shooting. It's uh, a gun platform. Yeah. Then take, uh, I would say take uh, the Thermal Cannon and the uh, Chainsword, the Knight Errant. Then you have, that also has a good mix of melee and heavy hitting stuff. Okay. So if that's your final verdict, at least take one Crusader because the gun platform. And then take a Knight Errant because... And then if you've got points left over, then maybe take a, uh, uh, what's the other one? The the uh, Gallant. Gallant, yeah. My hot take on it would be that the Gallant is not worth it, being that you will probably be taking the Titanic feet normally in combat anyway, and all of them have the Titanic feet. And 
being that the gauntlet is not worth it and it doesn't get any more extra attacks, the Reaper Chainsword, the uh, the Warden and the other two have that as an option. So instead of taking a Gallant, I would rather take either a Warden or a, an Errant or a Knight Paladin and at least give one of them the Chainsword. And he would be my Gallant, but he's still got ranged capabilities mm -hmm. versus the Gallant. If the Gallant had like six attacks or something, I'd be like, okay, totally, he's got a purpose. Mm -hmm. But Or if he got something for charging or, or something to make him more of a melee thing. I, I just don't... You know, or even if the gauntlet was not minus one to hit, that would even be something, you know, to, to make it, oh, well, he's the only guy. Oh, he's not the only guy that gets the gauntlet, too. No, uh, yeah, each of the uh, regular knights, the non-gallant and crusader can also, they could switch out the Reaper Chainsword with a Thunderstrike gauntlet. Okay, so that makes even less sense that the gallant even has an entry in here. Because he gets no special abilities that go towards melee. Yeah. And he gets no extra attacks. And the two options he has, which is the Gauntlet and Chainsword, the Knight Warden and the other two have both those options anyway. Yep. <laughs> so, so I would absolutely not say the Gallant, period. If you want a Gallant, just throw a Chainsword or a Gauntlet on the Warden or one of the others. And then take a Crusader for a Fire Platform. I, I don't know why the Gallant is even a thing. I don't know. So that needs to be FAQ'd or something. Anyway, there you go. That's the hot take from Just James and the Pimpcron that uh, Gallant's kind of blow. Hopefully we didn't bore you. And thanks for uh, messaging in, Ash. You guys can reach me at facebook.com slash pimpcron. You can reach me at pimpcron at gmail.com. Or you can call the phone number, which is 419-972-1811, and leave me a good old-fashioned voicemail. Hopefully it's not just fart noises. Want that? or want that not. And here we are again. This is the Pimpcron, and today I am joined by a very, very special guest. That would be Loremaster Alex. Hey, guys. How are we doing? They're doing pretty well. I mean, I'm I... not doing pretty well, because I just looked at something on Games Workshop. Well, oh, oh, you mean... Is it time for Want That or Want That Not? Yeah, and this is going to be a definite not, which okay. is going to be a first for you and me. Okay, let's jump ahead. Then. I had to kick in your door. Like, you were asleep, <laughs> and I woke you up about this. <sighs> and we said, Scott, we got to record this right now. Oh, I am man. so, like, <sighs> cheese and mustard, I am furious. Cheese and mustard? What kind of exclamation is that? It's the most. <laughs> it's the one I can get without making satanic rituals. Cheese and crackers. <laughs> Okay. I get so, so mad that I'm anti-swearing. Anti-swearing. Gee golly, Willikers. Okay. Baloney so, fudge mustard. Uh, fudge mustard. Yeah. Okay. So Adeptus Titanicus Warlord Battle Titan. The most expensive paperweight you will ever buy. Okay. So it is how many U.S. dollars, Mr. Alex? A hundred and ten, which is a hundred dollars too many. Okay. Okay. Well, it's a hundred and ten dollars. This this thing's probably, like, huge, I'm assuming, right? Like a Stompa or something like that. It's probably, like, massive for $110. If, if you're thinking that, Scott, I got some bad news for you, Chief. It's about the size of a Dreadnought. What? Yeah. yeah. No way. Yeah, it's tiny. No way. Are you saying look at that... The, go look at the, at the article. Or go look at the explanation of the base size, and you'll understand what I mean. It's the space that a Mauler Fiend fits on. A 120-millimeter oval base. 
I am and flabbergastedly angry right now. A hundred and twenty millimeter oval base. So what the hell were they thinking in charging this much for that thing? Uh, they thought suckers. <laughs> oh, is that what? Is that how they see us? I I mean, it's Games Workshop. Hashtag not my GW. Not my okay. GW. Yeah. That is not the Games Workshop we all know and love. A hundred and ten dollars. You're right. You're right. If it was the Games Workshop I know and love, they would have charged you two hundred. <laughs> So you claim that this is $100 too much for this thing, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's... Because when I heard about Adeptus Titanicus, the uh -huh. way it was explained to me, it was going to be Battletech in the 40k universe. And maybe it is. It's not. Battletech is 6mm. Oh. 6 so or that's... 12, depending on who you talk to and what liquor store you walk out of. Um, <laughs> they get a lot of battle talk, yeah. battle tech talk in the liquor store. You'd be surprised. I huh. was literally like, I came into a liquor store one time. Dude was talking about Mad Cats and stuff, and I was like, "Are you talking about Battle Tech?" And he goes, "Yeah, you play." And I was like, "Yeah, I played Battle Tech and I play War uh, Mech Warrior Online." Well, now that we're off topic, yeah. the Ad Adeptus Titanicus Warlord Battle Titan is about the size of well, it's certainly smaller than Imperial Knight. Yeah. And it is um, it is on 120 mil base, which is exactly what you said, Mauler Fiend base or a Flyer base. And I'm assuming that this is one of those situations where this thing is so badass in the game, that's what calls that price point. Because what yeah, the hell? Yeah, but you're also looking at that it's a niche game. It's made specifically for the Adeptus Titanicus. You yeah. can't use this in regular 40k. No, not you can't at all. use it. In, you can't use it in uh, Battlefleet Gothic, and I'm pretty sure you can't use it in Kill Teams or Necromunda. No, you can't. So it's 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 a hundred dollars too much for what you're paying. <laughs> Good God, like and it's not even that cool looking. No, it really isn't. I the, mean, it's the Valiant is a better looking knight, and I would just pay an extra seventy dollars to buy the Valiant. So. I don't know where do they get off. Who do they think they are for charging a hundred and ten? Are you kidding me? You haven't you you haven't been paying attention to Games Workshop. What the hell, <laughs> buddy? I hate I to break this it to was you. The new friendly Games Workshop. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> You've never heard of uh, Dominatus, have you? <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to my German forty k players. Dominatus is a great fan made film. So. It's got two guns. It's got some missiles. Two guns? <laughs> two um, I just... It better be game-changingly awesome. It's not. To because pull $110. It's not. It's like it's like the bare-bones miniature. It's like the mainstay unit for that game. Which is why they say, oh... No, well, no, it can't be. Because it it, they've got Imperial Knights in there, which are like little infantry. Yeah, the size of Algrins. Yeah. Yet, yeah, no. That's supposed to be the heavy hitter right there. I That's... heard everybody complaining about the price point for Adeptus Titanicus. And you never thought that good people God. were serious. Yeah, like like just a couple buildings, yeah, $125? No, look, okay, yeah, yeah, let's talk about that. The Savatis Imperialis shit. sector, which I'm pretty sure is just cardboard. It certainly looks cardboard. It's definitely uh, cardstock, in my opinion. It might be plastic. It better be plastic for 125 Oh, wait, wait, though. Okay, maybe we were being unfair. $110 just for the model, right? Right. But $170 gets you the model, some blast templates, and never thought I'd see those again. Are you patronizing me, Pimpon? I am. Because I am. <laughs> all you're doing is infuriating me, <laughs> you little shit. But you get books. 
Look, there's like two books there. Yeah, books that I don't want to fucking read. <laughs> books that literally, if I'm in a pinch, I will tear out a page to wipe my ass with. I don't know, man. I, you know, one thing I will give this game, though, is um, that... It makes good kindling for winter time when you spent all your money on a shitty game. Wait a second. And these... you don't have any money to feed your children, wait. so you have to throw it in a freaking fire pit to keep them warm. But look at these adorable Imperial Knights, though. Yeah, for $35, I'd buy those assholes every day of the week just so I could modify them into Augrens. Yes, I mean, honestly, they're probably Augrin size, roughly. Like, I would, like, modify it so I would move the head and put, like, a guardsman's body in there, like he's piloting it. Yes. And then, like... Sentinels, you, well, they're probably too small for Sentinels. Too small for Sentinels. Wouldn't that be cool for a Sentinel? It would be perfect for an Augrin, but we're not talking about the Adeptus Titanicus Imperial Knights, are we? Well, I we're mean, talking about the Titan. Well, really, this this goes to show that there's not a whole hell of a lot to talk about for this hundred and ten dollar Titan. Yes, yeah. a little Titan, and by little I mean little. Less like, than a, um, I have a rager right now. I am so mad. So you got an angry? You popped an angry boner. I have an angry boner, and I'm oh. and I'm literally almost pooing blood out of fury, <laughs> out of fury. Like blood is jettisoning from my crack as we speak. Okay, well this is this has gotten dark. So. I'm going to go ahead and say it's a definite no. Uh, I think I'll probably only buy two of these. These $110 ones. You looking to get stabbed? You looking to get shit? <laughs> if you buy those, I am telling it, uh, the pimp wife. No, you know what? Honestly, Adeptus Titanicus, I was never interested in that Titanicus game anyway. I mean, yeah. it was before my time. But I looked at it, never liked it, never thought it was neat. And now when this was coming out, I yawned. Yeah. Like, and, I totally don't care. And and then $110, like, holy shit. Like, even in regular Warhammer, something that size would be 60 to $85. Yeah, it's excessive. Somewhere in there. It's excessive. $110. However, I will make one caveat. I will most likely buy a Deptus Iconicus Imperial Knight just so that I can modify them and make custom Algrins. So, just James and I were discussing about um, buying the Imperial Knights from Adeptus Titanicus and using them as something like Ogrens or something in a... Oh, no, uh, Cataphracty Breachers or Destroyers for Adeptus Mechanicus. Yeah. If you were to use these in their place, and what you do is you have an Imperial Knight, like a real one, in the game, and then all of your troops are little Imperial Knights. <laughs> so it looked like a, like a mother duck walking along and it's baby ducklings following it into combat. Yes. <laughs> I yes. love it. Would I that not it. be adorable? I would cry. <laughs> but no, um, but legitimately, because I, I play Bulgrins with my um, Astro Militarum, and I never liked the idea of having ab humans. Uh-huh. Because you're racist? No, because my planet doesn't have them. Because they look different? No, it, because wow. of my, it's because of the fluff. Because if they in America, they better speak English? Is that why? But no, the reason why I don't like having Augrins in my army, just like how I don't have Rattlings in my army, is it doesn't match my lore. Like my fluff. So I already have custom snipers to replace my rattlings. Why shouldn't I not like go the extra mile and make custom bullgrins? I know this has devolved into baby Imperial Knight talk, but I really like the baby Imperial Knights. I actually am yeah, going to probably order them when I go to our game store they're, soon. They're pretty cute. And actually $35 for three of them. I mean, that's not bad. That's what you'll pay for a bullgrin. Bullgrins might actually be yeah, more than a that. A box of bullgrins, I think, is 45 Yeah. And there's just three of them in that. Yeah. So, and I mean, if you get a box of bullgrins, box of those, you have yourself a fun night. So, do you want that or want that not on the fucking $110 tight titan whatever the hell it's called 
Only if I could buy it and then shove it up the creator's ass. <laughs> it's a definite no. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a no for both of us. You can keep your $110 thing for a game that I don't care about to begin with. So. <laughs> Bring back Battlefleet Gothic, dang it. No, that's just they're just going to do the same thing to that. I hope not. Yeah. All right, so it's a no for both of us on this one. Now, here's an idea. And for today's edition of Well, Here's an Idea with the Pimpcron, I wanted to discuss not dropping the hobby ball just because you're on vacation. That's right. So basically what I want to say is that I want you all to follow my lead. And obviously, you know, everyone's got their own situation, whether it's children or spouse or whatever on vacation. But it doesn't mean that you can't be hobbying in your free time if you have a nice relaxing vacation. And it doesn't mean that you can't be making new friends. So this is something that I want to tell. It's a little uh, story about the Pimpcron, and uh, we're going to get real intimate. It's going to get real awkward up in here. No, not so much. So about four years ago, I was going down to Hatteras in North Carolina. It's a vacation area, and I was going down there, and I wanted to see if they had a uh, local comic book store or whatever that played Warhammer. Well, they did, and um, I found their Facebook page, and I figured, you know what? Maybe I'll actually get a game. So I Facebook messaged the store and they asked for permission to ask, you know, um, dredge for players on their Facebook page. And they said, sure, yeah, no, no problem at all. So I posted on their Facebook page and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm down for this week or whatever. And that, you know, I want to uh, get a game in, if possible, a 40K. And eventually one person answered and his name was Caleb. And, you know, of course, I'm thinking, well, who knows? You know how unreliable people are. So we uh, we ended up getting together, and uh, on the date and time, he actually did show up, which surprised me. And we had a really good game, and uh, we got to know each other a little bit and had fun. And that started kind of a yearly uh, tradition. And so every time I go to vacation, I usually vacation in the same areas, and every time I'm down in Hatteras, I always meet up with Caleb, and we play a game and, and stuff like that, and it's been really fun. We've, we've done it for four years straight now. And we always have fun, and we're very similar in play style, so you know he's not hardcore competitive, and neither do I, so we have a lot of fun. I even got to meet a bunch of Caleb's friends, and they, believe it or not, ended up going to Shorehammer, because we started getting together about two years before I started Shorehammer. And... Um, so that's pretty cool. You know, I've gotten to know some of the community down here. They're all really nice guys. And, um, the, you know, shout out to the North Carolina crew. It's, uh, Mike, Jim, Caleb, Bobby, Sam, David. So anyway, um, you know, none of that would have ever happened if I decided, you know what, I'm on vacation. I don't have time. I can't play. I can't hobby, yada, yada, yada. And I know a lot of us in the geek hobbies or whatever in this demographic of population, a lot of us are introverts, a lot of us are shy, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? I know there are jerks out there. And Caleb definitely could have been a jerk. I was taking a risk with that. But who cares, man? It's just a game. Like, you should just, you know, chill out. And sure, if you get, if you find your own Caleb sometime and he's a total jerk, well, guess what? Find another Caleb next time, you know, on your next vacation. Um, I've had people tell me that they, um, you know, bring models and paint on airplanes to, you know, make it through long, uh, airplane flights. And of course, you know, there's always communities pretty much everywhere you go for Warhammer. And 
by and large, everybody I've ever met is pretty darn nice. So don't let that, you know, don't let your shyness or whatever um, deter you from getting a game in with local people or just hobby and painting on your armies. One thing that I always do is every time I go on vacation and I know I'll have some spare time, I'm always sure to bring an army that I know needs a lot of love. So one year, you know, my guard was mostly unpainted or a, a large portion of it was. So I brought guard or when I was starting my Primaris, I met up with Caleb and brought my Primaris army because that week I got to build all kinds of, you know, models and paint them and whatnot. And uh, the last time I've been down there, I brought my Dark Eldar because many of them are, you know, primed but not fully painted or whatever. And that really gave me a good time to do that. So all I want to say is that where there's a will, there's a way. Even if you bring a 10-man squad and you're on an airplane and you bring the three main colors that you need and you bring a little tray or whatever, you know, you can get that stuff done. And at least for me... It's cool to not only get vacation, but when I come home, hey, you know, I've got 20 models painted or whatever. And I think that's I think that's pretty cool. Not to mention you're making new friends and it makes the world smaller because, you know, we're all in the same community, whether you live four states away or whatever. It's it's pretty cool to meet new people that have your same interests and maybe, you know, build friendships or whatever, build relationships and you know what? I would like to wrap this up with saying a big old shout out to Leviathan, which is a comic and gaming store in Southern Shores, North Carolina, which is where we always go to play. The owners are very, very nice and they're very welcoming. They can talk to you about anything. And no, this is not some paid advertisement. I'm just legitimately saying that I love going to that place. And if I did not live like five hours away from it, I would go there much more frequently than just vacation. But that would be Leviathan in Southern Shores, and I just wanted to say that that is an awesome place. It's very clean, and it's very nice, and I really can't say enough good about it, and I swear to you, they have no idea I'm saying this. I've used all the dating sites that are out there, and each one is exactly the same, full of players and losers who only want one thing. That's when I found out about joining Pimpcron on Patreon. With a simple monthly donation, I get all of the love and support from Pimpcron that I could possibly want. See you later, dating websites. I've got the patreon.com backslash Pimpcron. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimpcron. Hey everybody, welcome to Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and this is part two of What Armies Are Good for New Players? And I have, um, if you did not hear the first episode, you should go listen to it. And I want to reset what my parameters are for a good army. Preferably, it has a moderate to low number of models. And it has some punch on the battlefield. Hopefully, it has some versatility. And also, something I'm looking for is possibly easy to paint or something like that. So just generally, something that is um, not too time or money intensive for a brand new player because they have the rest of their life to waste every paycheck and every weekend on Warhammer. So I would not suggest that for a brand new player. Of course, as always, the caveat with this is you do whatever the hell floats your boat. Okay, let's kick this off. Um, next up, we have Gene Stealer Cult. Gene Stealer Cult I, has a special place in my heart, one of my all-time favorite armies. It is so fun to play, but 
by golly, they are basically a version of Dark Eldar, but they don't have as much damage output. They are a more melee-oriented Dark Eldar, and they have a lot of bodies, which is an issue. They have, they tend to have, in, in most builds, they have fewer vehicles and more bodies than Dark Eldar does. So, I would probably rank them um, pretty low as well. They're, they're hard to pull off, they have a lot of special rules. And Gene Steeler Cult, I would probably say, is a D for a brand new player. Now, I love them, and I have success with them. Um, but I probably would not su suggest starting somebody out with them. Um, next up is Custodes. Custodes, I would suggest for a new player um, over Grey Knights, I believe. I would probably give them a B. And the reason why is they have multi-wounds. They have a lot of invulnerable saves. Uh, hella ton of... Two ups, if that's a phrase. A hell a ton? I don't know. And um, they have a shit ton. There we go. Shit ton. They have a shit ton of two up saves and involves and multi wounds and toughness five and just go ape on everything. So I feel like they're pretty darn durable and that they are um, much more forgiving than most armies. The next army I want to cover is Chaos Demons. Um, now, they can be a mixed bag, they have very little shooting, they rely heavily on melee, um, but they do have a lot of neat things, you know, each unit has a specialty of some sort, like blood letters, you know, they're not durable, but they've got an awesome sword, um, that sort of thing, and, um, uh, you know, plus you can deep strike with them and things like that, so... Honestly, I think that they have had an improvement. Uh, Chaos Demons have um, had an improvement in power level in this edition. The problem is, is Chaos Demons, unless you're playing a ton of Demon Princes, they are very hoardy. They're like Orcs, or they're like, you know, if you're taking uh, Demonettes, you're taking um, Pink Horrors, or any of that stuff, you're going to end up with a bunch of models. So, this one is pretty dependent on how you want to build them. But I would probably say about a C. This is this is an average army, not great, not terrible. You know, maybe even a C minus. I think I think I would not suggest them for a new player. Um, then we have Imperial Guard, and Imperial Guard I think um, have also just like Tyranids had a huge boost in this edition as far as their power level. Uh, you can play that army with very few models if you take mostly tanks. And, or you could play it with a ton of models if you take mostly infantry. And they have a ton of somewhat complicated orders and special um, abilities and things like that. So given all of that, um, I would say if you're taking a mix of infantry and a mix of tanks, that's a pretty good mix of models, you know, big and small. And they have quite a good amount of output. And if you're not picky on how you paint them, once again, you can take them any chapter or whatever, and they've got a lot of versatility. Um... I would definitely say that Imperial Guard is probably, let's say, a B. Um, they are a B on this scale, and I would probably suggest them to any new players, honestly. Um, now, Imperial Knights is the next deal. Um, Imperial Knights, um, they, I, I would not suggest them for a new player, honestly. You know, I say fewer models is better, but this is a bit ridiculous. You you just took it to the nth degree. Um, Imperial Knights are like four models for a whole army, 
And I don't really think that's teaching a new player how to play the game. Um, I, I feel like, you know, they're, I mean, they got a ton of wounds. That's true. They got high durability and things like that. They've got decent output, but it's kind of like playing a mini game or something. Imperial Knights aren't like the, the typical feel for an army. And if, you know, if that's up your alley, that's fine. But Imperial Knights, I would not say, um, I would probably make them a D because I personally don't feel like that's the way a new player should go. Um, you know, just, oh, here's my four models. Cool. And I also tend to think of Imperial Knight armies as a bit cheesy, and I don't want to support any cheesy new players, although God knows they'll be there. So finally, we come to my own favorite army, the Necrons. And the Necrons have been a mixed bag um, in this edition. They've gotten some nerfs from some FAQs. They've gotten some nerfs from the Codex. But they're also a little bit better with the reanimation protocols than they used to be. So, I don't... It, it's hard to say with Necrons. They could be hoardy, um, but they typically aren't. You know, you have more expensive units like Tess... Um, uh, Triarch Stalkers and, you know, Triarch Praetorians and, um, Wraiths. I honestly feel like Necrons do a lot of things well. They shoot well, they're durable, they're even not bad in close combat, which is amazing now that initiative's gone. Um, you know, Necrons always really suffered from their initiative one, or initiative two, I think it was. Gosh, I'm getting old. I'm forgetting what their initiative was. Initiative two, I believe. And, um, you know, Necrons were always striking last in close combat. Well, no longer, my friend. Necrons are back in the saddle, and they are ready to paddle? I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. But the point is, is they've got a, a very interesting uh, art style to their models. And um, they've got a lot of shooting. They have a lot of good close combat options. Um, they do have, you know, a little bit of monsters. And they've got a lot of vehicles. So also, the, you know, the paint scheme for Necrons um, potentially could be very simple if you just spray them silver and wash them with something. So all of that being said, I feel like Necrons may be, I would give them an A for sure. They're not the most powerful, but they're hella durable. And they've got a lot of shooting, a lot of close combat. You can play them as hordes. You got some monsters. You got a lot of vehicles. Um, I just think it's a pretty forgiving army. And you're not, you know, they always say don't go full retard. You're not going full retard with the number of models and durability like custodes. But also you're not, you know, you're not going um, the other way either with tons and tons of hordes necessarily. I mean, you could, you could scurb swarm the whole board if you want. I don't care. But... Um, I feel like Necrons are probably one of the best. Now, they're not necessarily going to be in a starter set like Space Marines will be. But I would probably give them an A. I would suggest Necrons for a new player. And, you know, if nothing else, they're very, very durable and forgiving. Sisters of Battle. Should I even mention them? Are they even an army? I don't even know anymore. Um, Sisters of Battle, they have gotten some power increases in 8th edition. And I feel like they are a poor mix of Space Marines and Guard. 
Um, they're a bit elitist like Space Marines, but they don't have the toughness to back it up. But they have most of the Space Marines cool toys. So um, in this iteration at the time of this recording, I would probably put them about... Well, okay. I would give them an F right now. Simply for the fact that all of them are metal models. Now, if they come out with Plastic Sisters, that's a completely different story. They'd flesh out the army a bit more, I'm sure. And they would... Um, they would be in plastic and they would be much cheaper per model probably. So if they come out in plastic, I would probably put them in the C category. They're kind of middle of the way, maybe a C minus. Um, but if, since they're metal, they are a straight up F right now. I guess our next army that we will be hitting is Harlequins and Harlequins really suffer from the same issues that uh, Dark Eldar do, but then they also have the same issues as um, like Grey Knights in the fact that Harlequins tend to be more expensive per model than Dark Eldar, but they have almost all of Dark Eldar's same drawbacks, such as, uh, you know, single wounds, low toughness, that sort of thing. They are super durable, but they just don't have all of the um, punch uh, ranged-wise. They're pretty good in melee, certainly, that's that's what they excel at. But shooting really is lacking for Harlequins. They have some neat little vehicles, but they just don't really feel like they're a completely fleshed-out army, honestly. And I would probably make them a D. I would not suggest them. Um, it seems like Harlequins are just playing Dark Eldar on hard mode. That's basically what that is. Um, you have fewer models with no real, you know, no more durability, really and almost no shooting, and, you know, I don't know. They're they're a cool army, and I don't personally play them, but I do know they require a lot of strategy to make them work well. So what I would suggest is don't start Harlequins if you're a brand new player. That's what I would suggest. Adeptus Mechanicus. Totally gnarly, man. Uh, Adeptus Mechanicus. I think that they are a lot like guard um maybe a bit of a mix of tau they have a lot of infantry a lot of shooting they have a lot of really neat tricks that you can play with their cankles of the omnissiah i don't know what fat ankles on an omnissiah have anything to do with their tactics but um that is basically the uh the rules that they can do as far as changing different you know protocols and whatnot shooting real good or whatever else they do um, they're a really interesting army. I feel like most of their um, price point is a bit high, though, for what you get. I feel like, um, you know, it's fairly well known that GW has the old pricing schedules where you would get, you know, um, 10 models for 30 bucks or whatever. And then all the newer armies are at a much higher rate. Oh, now it's five models for 30 bucks, that sort of thing. And Adeptus... Mechanicus definitely seems to suffer from that. You know, um, their prices are pretty high for their. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of what they're called. The um, the dudes that run out front, you know, and they poke people. Um, the uh, stalkers, I think they're called. I don't remember. The people are probably yelling at their um, phone now and and yelling the name, but I don't. I don't know what it is. I don't play uh, Admech. So anyway, the uh, Rust Stalkers. I think it's Rust Stalkers. That's what it is. Anyway, um, I would probably say that they have a fairly high model count, even more than Guard. They have very fewer vehicles, 
but they have just as many infantry. And they are a bit complex. I would also give them a D. I really don't... I would not suggest starting out with them if you're a brand new player, brand new to the game. But, of course, I mean, with any of these, you do what the hell you want. I mean, you're an adult, I assume. If you're not an adult, why are you listening to this podcast? And why are you dumping so much money into Warhammer? I am trying to rack my brain now to find out, did I miss any armies? Did I miss any armies? Because it feels like we have so many micro armies that have not been fully fleshed out. Um, You know, you used to have just the main armies, but now there are so many like, oh, here's the, you know, group of people that used to just be one one unit in a bigger army, and now they're their whole army now. Um, And Age of Sigmar does this too. But I hope you enjoyed this. I hope this has given you some sort of information that you can use and process and whatnot. And I appreciate you listening. Let's get brutal. And now it's time once again to get brutal with the Pimpcron, where we discuss the lore behind my free rules, use your own models, RPG light skirmish war game called Brutality Skirmish War Game. We've been discussing a lot about the world and the people in it and the functionality of how people are reborn after they die, etc., etc. And tonight I wanted to discuss a little bit more behind one of our factions. One of the main factions here is a very secretive uh, faction that believes that they can take down Ishtar, and it's called Brotherhood of the Wayfinders. I've discussed that in a previous episode. Well, their number one religious doctrine is the Book of Cronel, which, of course, is uh, steeped in mystery, and it is only in shards and pieces that are left after Ishtar scattered it to the ends of the earth and uh, presumably destroyed it, but many people think that the entire book is not destroyed. So the Epic of Cronel is one of the best-known folk tales in this place. It's the story of the Aether Realm's most powerful wizard who rose up to defy Ishtar in an attempt to not only defeat her, but to stop this nefarious plot of, you know, keeping everybody slaves in this dimension. It's said that he found a way to unravel her powers through the magics, but she discovered his plan before he could complete it. In a world-shaking battle, the two of them clashed in thunderous combat, and for a moment it looked as if Cronel would be victorious— But Ishtar defeated him in the end, and as punishment for his insubordination, she stretched his skin over a vast swath of the land and made him immortal. What is left of Cronel is now known as the Fleshlands, and his blood flows forever as the River Sanguine, and he's powerless to do anything. He feels every single tent spike, every single hole that's shoveled, and every single blood-tinged tree that grows out of his body. He serves as a reminder to all who may oppose Ishtar. Now, if that's not some sort of uh, horrific fate, I don't know what is. But there, yeah, there's in the northeast, I'm sorry, the northwest of the continent, there's a huge area called the Fleshlands where the ground is literally flesh. If you dig, the ground bleeds. If you cut down trees, the trees bleed. Everything is literally made out of Cronel. And to this day, he's still alive. He can't uh, contact anybody or whatever to anyone's knowledge, but the um, Brotherhood of Wayfinders are trying to track down his book of Cronel, and that was all the arcane information that he had gathered. And in other words, he had been talking to different people of different uh, disciplines of magic and whatnot, and had slowly compiled away 
to finally destroy this pocket dimension and send everyone home. But, unfortunately, Ishtar got wind of it, and she stopped him. And they actually clashed in a place called, well, it's now called the Blur. The place where they clashed, when they, the two forces of their magics came together, there was such a huge blast of energy that it completely bleached one whole section of the continent. And uh, there's, you know, it just took all the color out of everything. The ground is white, the trees are white or pale colored. There's a, a clear fruit. A lot of the animals are hard to see. It's called the blur because people have a really hard time seeing when they're there. They get basically a whiteout, and their eyes can't adjust anything. And as I discussed during the Brotherhood of the Wayfinder coverage a couple episodes ago, you might wonder how Ishtar is not finding these people that are secretly working undercover to unravel her whole plot. And, you know, you have to keep in mind that Cronell is still alive. He's just stretched out over you know, thousands or more square miles of area. And a lot of people believe that his magic is still protecting and hiding his followers, and that hopefully they can put the Book of Cronell back together, find all the pages, and finally stop this horrible thing that she's done to everyone. I really like the idea of having a long and rich backstory for the game, because, you know, time doesn't really pass here like it does in, in real space, and... There have you know if if you showed up today in the ether realm, there have been people here that have been in this realm for hundreds of years or more. You know if they were some of the original inhabitants, and um, I really like the idea that they're you know this is not this is not the beginning of this place. It's been surviving and existing for a long time, and a lot of stuff has gone down. You know there's been people that have um uh, actually won her favor and got out. There are other people that have, you know, waged war between factions or done incredible deeds or even in the case of Cronell, tried to defy Ishtar and destroy this whole place. And I'm sure his punishment has served as deterrent for more than one person that has maybe had the inkling of the capability to deal a blow to Ishtar or try to dismantle this place either through technology or magic or any other means. And I'm certain there's been more than one person that's heard about this story and seen the Fleshlands or heard about them and go, you know what, maybe I'm not going to try to defy this woman and maybe we'll find out some other way. Well, kids, I think it's about time to wrap up the show. I appreciate you all listening. I truly do. Please contact me at pimpcron at gmail.com or Facebook slash pimpcron or at the phone number in the show notes. And I will catch you next week.